so imagine I uh, come home. I'll do it this way. So imagine I come home uh, to Joe uh, at the end of a day's work, and I come in the door and I say, "Oh, right." When this happens, and I say, "Oh, right." So good to see you. You know, like. Been a tough day, and just the sight of your beautiful face uh, cheers me up. Your beautiful blonde hair, your blue eyes—they just, you just stunning. And those of you chuckling, know my wife. So my wife responds and says, "That's that's lovely, but um, you know I've got brown and brown." And I say to her. But don't get all like heady and academic on me. I'm just like pouring out my heart, you know. I'm just trying to get my heart across to you. You don't have to be all technical about whether or not you've got brown hair or blonde hair, you know. Anyway, <laughs> I'd say that story with full disclosure that I got it from. Uh, uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church, one of their um, uh, things that they had online, to use the same illustration that they made, uh, simply that it matters um, how we think and speak about God, how we relate to Him. So this is uh, as just to help us think about the importance of the exercise that we're doing tonight as we think about uh, the Holy Spirit. Um, it's good for us to think about who it is that we are praising as we think about our God so that we praise him rightly for who he really is. Um, that honours him uh, and that's a good thing. That's what we want to be doing. So uh, what we're going to do uh, tonight is I will... Um, we're going to be uh, pre-Pentecost. That's going to be the, the aim. Uh, and next week will be post-Pentecost. And uh, i just flag it up now that if you were kind of thinking uh, that tonight we might hear about some of those juicy topics like uh, prophecy, speaking in tongues, um, various manifestations of the Spirit, uh, come back next week. And then um, I'll give you forewarning, just in case that really is what you want. I'm actually going to park those right to the very end and have it as a, um, uh, if you want to talk to me about it, let's do that. Uh, because uh, I didn't want this mini, uh, this pair of um, talks to be focused around those um, areas, that will perhaps come at another point where we focus on gifts, gifts in particular. It just takes more time, basically, um, and it would um, occupy too much of the time together so but I'll be happy to linger around afterwards and tell you my thoughts on it but I think there'll be plenty to uh, think about uh, apart from those uh, couple of areas um, I'll see yeah, that includes like um, blasphemy in the Holy Spirit we can put that there'll be a few other uh, some things like that um, <clears throat> but uh, right so starting off tonight uh, turn to somebody next to you and uh, tell them, in, you can have uh, one minute, or maybe less, yeah, one, no, go for one minute, go for one minute, and talk to them about how you would defend uh, the divinity of the Spirit. An assumed doctrine, perhaps, uh, how do you defend the divinity of the Spirit? Do we have a trinity, or should we have a binity? Two, Unity, Trinity, two, three. How would we defend the divinity of the Spirit? Don't look at the handouts. 
Shall we uh, gather gather together? Let's have a couple of um, couple of different lines of thinking, and don't don't uh, cheat on the handout. Disease. But if I hear if I hear my texts and my uh, headings, I know what you're doing. Anyone? Anyone want to share what what, uh, what you discussed? How do we how do we defend? John 14. Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. And then says, I will not leave you as I will come to you. Mm-hmm. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And the implication be? There's the unity, there's a, there's a oneness between Jesus and the Spirit. And if and presumably so, so the logic runs, if Jesus is divine, yeah. then the Holy Spirit is then the Holy Spirit must and be. And then further in the same passage, it just says thy father will love them, and we will come to them. Mm-hmm. So there's a unity with the Father as well. So by virtue of the um, uh, fact that this, we know that the Spirit is the one who comes to <coughs> us, but then Jesus says that that's the Father and the Son coming to us. So there must be some sort of unity amongst them, which by implication means that they have some level of uh, equality. Yeah. Others? In, in the beginning, uh, Good. Others? Any more? Um, uh, baptism in Matthew, baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and implies that the one name, not in the names. One name, Father, and Spirit. It's Ephesians 1 as well, and Paul's great one. So it's thanksgiving to God mm. for our salvation, being Father, Ephesus, and Son, Ephesus, and Spirit, Ephesus. Mm-hmm. So, the way that I've kind of done it is, um, uh, I don't know what what you've got in your handouts. We're starting here establishing the Trinity. I'm going to aim for doing two things, showing the divinity of the Spirit, but then that doesn't necessarily um, deal with the possibility that the Spirit is just an extension of the Father. Right? So we want to establish a distinct person. So divinity and distinction. If we, if we establish those two, um, according to scripture, the logic would be we have a distinct divine person uh, and thereby we're dealing with uh, uh, a member of the Trinity. The theologians got it right, as it were. So establishing divinity to start with. These are just a few kind of lines of reasoning um, <clears throat> that various uh, theologians kind of come back to. One of them is the parallels with God. Um, I don't know which text. Have I given you Acts 5 or 1 Corinthians 12? 1 Corinthians 12, right. So um, what I mean by parallels with God 
is that you'll see that um, the, the spirit will be mentioned at one point, and then you track further down and you see that the same um, subject is now referred to as God. So let's see that together. Now there are various gifts, uh, uh, sorry, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all, right? Hold that phrase. Uh, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for to one is given the, uh, through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability of distinguishing between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. You see what we had before? But it is the same God who empowers them all, and then you track down to the end, and now we have that they are empowered by one and the same Spirit. So Paul there, appearing to use the, the, the terms God and Spirit interchangeably. Um, another example of this is in Acts 5, where um, if you know the story, Ananias and Sapphira, they die, and then Peter says to them, uh, uh, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? You have, not, uh, you have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land, uh, didn't it belong to you before it was sold, and after it was sold, wasn't it, uh, the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. So Paul there again, similar line of logic. You've lied to the, what made you think you could lie to the Holy Spirit? And then in the, almost in the same breath, you've not lied to men, but you've lied to God. So that's the first line of logic in Scripture. You see parallels with God. Second line of logic is uh, that, that uh, divine attributes are um, attributed to the Holy Spirit. So, uh, as an example, <coughs> the Holy Spirit is eternal. This is Hebrews 9, verse 14. Uh, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, uh, offered himself unblemished to God? That attribute um, uh, of, e of, of being eternal, uh, uh, designated for God alone reserved for God alone. Uh, likewise, in Psalm 139, we have uh, what appears to be uh, God-like presence from the Spirit. You know, if you know the Psalm, you know, where can, I, where can I flee from you, God? There's nowhere, anywhere that I could go that you wouldn't be there. But what he says is, where can I go from your Spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Uh, and another one is, the Holy Spirit has kind of a God quality knowledge. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10 to 11. Um, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And this one here, I think, is one of, this one for me is one of the strongest ones. Uh, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, that level of comprehension, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. That's extraordinary. To know that unfathomable knowledge uh, is to the Spirit. And then the analogy that's given is that our spirit um, knows the person, uh, and the idea there being, to the degree that our spirit is kind of equal to us, to that degree, the Spirit of God is is or equal to God. You know, the, the, the idea of separation, that your spirit would be less. Uh, that's where you have to start going if you wanted to break that parallel apart. So, he's the Spirit of God who, who knows the thoughts of God. This is divine attributes. Uh, and finally, divine activities. Um, he makes people alive which we see in Galatians 5.25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Um, so the Spirit makes us alive, and that um, ability of bringing uh, the dead to life is something that God does, which we see in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 5, which says, you know, you were dead in your sins, but God, being rich in mercy, even when you were dead, made us alive with Christ. Okay, so that's divinity. Um, and I think that in some ways, uh, that might even be the easy part. Um, then, distinction. 
So how is the Spirit not just like the arm of the Lord? You see, you read, the arm of the Lord does so and so. Why is the Spirit not like that? Um, so we want to be dealing with the Spirit in distinction from the Father. Now, the way that this will, uh, to see this in Scripture, that this is a, a legitimate move, um, is in prayer. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, we have the Spirit helping us in our weakness, for we do not know what we ought to pray, uh, for what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. You see that? You have here the Spirit uh, interceding for us in our prayers to the Father. And there you have, uh, that, that, that leans us towards that idea that we're, we are dealing with a distinct person, or however you want to you know, phrase it, um, apart from the Father. We are praying, the Spirit is actually doing the praying to the Father. Um, we also see this distinction um, in relation to the Father and the Son, so being distinct from the Father and the Son, uh, in, in being sent. Um, and so an example here is I have in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, this is Jesus talking to the disciples, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So you have here the Son going to ask the Father for another helper who will be with you. Here Jesus, in, in one big breath, um, is talking. He's doing the talking, so he's not the Father, and he's not the other helper. And he's going to ask the Father to give another helper uh, who will be with you. Um, and this other, this other um, uh, I don't want to say thing, but thing for now, uh, will be in distinction. It is clearly in distinction there from Jesus. Uh, and so at least we see that or, um, distance. And it appears to be by the fact that he's um, been given um, and referred to in this way as the helper, he seems to be distinct from the Father. So there's distinction uh, in relation to the Father and the Son. A couple of examples. Another area, uh, another way that we see this distinction is in Trinitarian passages. Um, this is uh, one of which Dan has already mentioned. So therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's um, just that kind of threefold pattern. But uh, perhaps one of the um, uh, better ones to see that distinction is, the, is in Matthew 3, verse 16, where in the one moment we have Jesus coming out of the water, baptised and coming out of the water, and then the Spirit descending like a dove, and then a voice from heaven. So in that passage, it's, it seems to be that there are three actors, the Spirit, Jesus is not doing the talking, Jesus is not doing the descending, and the Father is the voice from heaven, uh, uh, saying to the Son, this is my beloved Son, with whom uh, I am well pleased. Can you see that? The three actors all there in the one scene, distinguished from another, so that the Spirit is not the Father or the Son, the Son's not the Spirit, the Son's not um, etc. Uh, that's distinction. Uh, in those Trinitarian passages, there are a number of those. I don't know if I've put kind of a, uh, so, uh, a bunch of them for you to look up if you wanted to, but you see this kind of pattern yeah, in Scripture, um, one of which was that, that the Great Commission kind of text, but then you see various other ones um, where in one uh, verse you'll have... Um, the Father mentioned, the Son mentioned, and the Spirit mentioned. And that kind of threefold pattern throughout Scripture. Um, cumulatively, all this information gives the impression that we're dealing with a third. You know, we have the Father, we have the Son. And having established the divinity of the Son, um, we're now dealing with a third. There's a third who comes along and is, is equated with these other two. Um, an example being 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. It's a kind of classic one. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit uh, be with you all. 
And uh, finally, <coughs> personal properties. This is another place where people will often go. So the spirit is um, uh, presented in scripture doing uh, a whole bunch of verbs, really. So I have Acts 10, 19 to 20 there, uh, where the spirit is doing the speaking. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up uh, and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Uh, so you see there, some will argue for the personal pronouns. I have sent them, and also that um, yeah, he's speaking. We also see a whole range of other things that the Spirit does. The Spirit has a will. He distributes things according to his will. Uh, he, um, he himself there is doing the sending, for I have sent them. Uh, in that verse in Acts 10, uh, we see also that uh, he grieves in Ephesians 4, he intercedes, as we've already seen in Romans 8. So the Spirit, you can see, is doing all of these activities, which gives the impression that we're dealing with somebody who, for want of a better word, uh, is a person. So we're dealing with a person. And one place, we've already read the text, but if you go back to it now, in 1 Corinthians 12, you've got that there, right? At the beginning of Divinity. All these points are actually all in that one text. In that one text, you can look at it another time, we have parallels, we have distinction, we have personality, the Spirit distributes according to as He wills, and we have God-like activity in empowering individuals, um, and uh, there's a trinity shape to the whole passage, because you see it says, but the same, at the, at the top of the um, passage, now there, are, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there, are, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, referring to the Son, Jesus, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God. You see that Trinitarian pattern there again? So that passage there in 1 Corinthians 12 is a fairly helpful passage to kind of go to, uh, to see a bunch of those things all in one place, and that gives us a window into Paul's theology. Right, now, some of you... You might be thinking, right, divinity of the Spirit, we got that, good to know, anything more exciting. <laughs> but it's worth just stopping to pause at this point, isn't it, and just to marvel that when we are thinking about the Spirit, we are thinking about not just a power, it's not just a kind of powerful force, and it's not... Um, it's not even like a pretty powerful force, even if we think about his power. It's not like he's quite powerful, you know. He comes with divine power. He deserves divine honour. Uh, we, we, we should tremble um, before the Holy Spirit. We are dealing with the God himself. And what that means is it means that when we're told, for example, this is not just, you know, the, 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 the divinity of, of the Holy Spirit, we're, we're going to now see it cash out some implications. Um, we're told that the Holy Spirit, when he comes to, to, to strengthen us in our inner being, you know, that prayer of Paul in Ephesians, or to empower us with hope, Romans 15, he doesn't come with like, you know, a little bit of goodwill. He comes with the power of Almighty God. He comes with divine power. Uh, he, the divine Spirit of God uh, dwelling amongst us right now. Mighty Creator of all things. When, in, in, our, in our confusion or lack of wisdom, He comes with divine wisdom divine knowledge. Uh, in our weakness, he comes with divine strength. When he comes to convict, he comes with divine authority. So, <clears throat> that's the spirit in his divinity. I'm going to draw out uh, two implications which will then help us when we think about other things with respect to the Holy Spirit later. Um, let's, uh, let's take a moment now and have a think. Uh, uh, actually, wait on, will we? 
How are we going to do this? Let's do... <coughs> just take 30 seconds to, among yourselves and think about some of the other implications. What are some of the other implications about the spirit being divine? Fifteen more seconds. Okay, let's gather together. Couple of um, couple of thoughts from the floor. What uh, are there any are there any other implications, or is it just a bit like, ah, you know, he's divine. Make sure we tick that box, and um, you know, good day. Yeah. One implication is that God in all His power and glory is here with us. Right now. Now we know that as a statement, but if we think about that existentially, he is here right now in this cold chapel as we gather. We all know that at least at a theoretical level, but there's something awesome. Mm. Well, that he's in us. Yeah. We've talked about his script. Mm. the divine is in, in us. Mm. Quite extraordinary, isn't it? Just to think of, just well, kind of ponder the reality. It's impossible to get your head around that. Like, you know, you're Jesus being a person, the Father being heaven, or whatever, that way of putting it. The Spirit is in all of it. It's impossible. Like, it's, it's hard enough to understand that God the Father knows and sees you. That's a, good, that's, a good, um, that's a good point. Let's um, segue. <laughs> no, as one, as one, we will get to it, and I think part of it will be something like Ephesians. We are the true circumcision uh, who worship by the Spirit of God 
and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So, uh, we, we, we honour the Spirit as God. And this is probably the best, most summary and we can, we can pick it up after for the sake of discussion. We honour the Spirit as God and this connects to the question of praying to the Spirit being God. That it would be, um, various people have had different positions on it. Um, and some argue that yes, it's appropriate, um, but the, one of the reasons why we pray to the Father as the ordinary pattern of prayer, um, and even that we normally wouldn't focus on the Spirit in the same way as we'll see in the weeks ahead, um, but we, we, there are appropriate times to do so, and that's because there's an order about the Trinity. So the Father is not the Son, the Son's not the Spirit, and so we are at this point trying to we, we do these two things, um, and there is an, an order to the way that, the, that God, Father, Son, and Spirit works. And so uh, the Father works toward us. Um, it's the Father's work through the Son by the Spirit. That's the kind of the, the pattern. And, and, our, and we, um, we, we uh, have our returns back to Him uh, in the Spirit through the Son to the Father. That's a brief uh, response, I think, to that. But we can pick that up and discuss it later. But we'll see that now here, and you'll see in my next heading, um, inseparable operations, individual appropriations, a Trinitarian pneumatology. You just did that for fun. <laughs> and you see that in fancy speak, right? Basically, inseparable operations, which means they, uh, they don't do anything on their own, Right? You can't separate their operations out so that the, the spirit will, you know, spirit's busy over here doing one thing, son's over here thinking, I hope he gets it right. Um, uh, and the father's kind of like, I, I, I didn't really plan that, but hey, he's going with it, let's go with it too. Um, it's not like that. Nor is it like uh, the spirit um, doing something um, doing part of it, and the Son doing part of it, and the Father doing part of it. Uh, the whole Trinity in operation, in everything, inseparable operations, because we're dealing with one God. So, uh, and then individual appropriations will be the next thing. The point here is what we need to locate our doctrine of the Spirit within uh, the doctrine of God. And so that when we get to other aspects in next week and various other things, uh, this will help us as we try and think about his work in our lives. So the first thing is that his work is never in isolation. He never operates in isolation uh, to the Father or the Son. And this flows, and I need to defend this, this flows from the internal unity of God. Right? So God, we worship one God, and so his external act, reflect his internal being. He is one God uh, and uh, not three gods and so his internal operations are not dividable. Um, there, it's, it's never the case that one of them acts and the other two are not involved uh, in that. And so the um, <clears throat> A quote here, the three persons do not merely cooperate in their external works, as if each person contributed his distinctive part to a larger operational whole. All of God's external works, from creation to consummation, are the works of the three divine persons, enacting one divine power, ordered by one divine wisdom, expressing one divine goodness, and manifesting one divine glory. Um, and we see that in Scripture. Now I'll try and show that in Scripture. That's kind of theologians have pulled back and gone, right, system, we're going to do our systematics and work out that we've got one God but three persons. How does this work? But let's look at a few texts. One of the ways to see it, I'm going to scrap teaching and acting with Jesus and the Spirit. Uh, I'm going to scrap dwelling in us, if you've got that as a heading. Um, but Romans 8, verse 9 to 11 is where you can see this point where Christ is in us and, and the Spirit is in us. And as Richard's already mentioned earlier this evening, that the Father and the Son say, we will come and make our home with you. Um, and then how does that actually unfold? Um, it's that the Spirit uh, comes and makes his home with us. 
Um, but one of the places where we can see it is in this um, act of making us born again. And so here we see one of the questions, you, the way that you might phrase it would be like this. How are we born again? Are we born again by the Father? Are we born again by the Son? Are we born again by the Spirit? Yes, I think is the answer. Um, and, and here's an example. So uh, a text to defend that we're born again by the Father would be John chapter 1, verse 13 where he says, you know, um, but to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, born of God. Uh, and you can compare their uh, uh, one job, the, God, um, the letter, one job, where you have uh, the repeated phrase, um, those who are born of God, born of God. Um, and, and it's likely that that refers to the father when, when, it's, when it is in that context. Uh, secondly, to defend that we were born again by the Son, uh, it's that we have been born again through the living, this is uh, 1 Peter, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. Uh, and so here, as we, uh, as we know, the eternal Word uh, of the Father, um, Jesus being the, the, the eternal Word of God, uh, you could argue here um, that it is through the Word, through His Son, ultimately, uh, that we are born again, and then through this, uh, and then by the Spirit, we see in Titus chapter three, verse five, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, uh, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration—that's rebirth—by uh, the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And you can compare that with John chapter 3, where you are born again by the Spirit. Uh, and so here it seems that you have uh, this act of being born again uh, through the Word, uh, by the Spirit, or born of God. Um, now, another text to add on to that is Ephesians 2 chapter 15, where I think you see the same thing. How do we... Um, how does our relationship with God get fixed? Ephesians 2.18, it would be, for through him, that is the Son, we both have access, that's Jews and Gentiles, in one, in one spirit to the Father. Uh, so here, in terms of the reconciling work of God, um, it's all happening uh, by the plan of the Father giving the Son, by the Son himself um, shedding his blood and creating access and then it's us through the Spirit um, connecting to being reconciled to God. So in our reconciliation to God, we have uh, um, everybody involved so that the act of reconciliation is not done uh, without any other member of the Trinity. might see the same thing. I've, I've let, I put a text in here, Isaiah 34 verse 16, just to kind of see uh, through scripture, uh, through the Old Testament as well. He says, seek and read from the book of the Lord, not one of these shall be missing, none shall be without a mate. Um, for the mouth of Yahweh has commanded, so that's the, you've got Yahweh, you've got his spoken word, and his spirit has gathered them. That's an example of that in the Old Testament. <coughs> Um, so that's, uh, that's inseparable operations. Now, one of the things then to draw off the back of that is this. Here we go. Here we go. Now we're teed up for something good. Okay. So we've got that far. Here's the thing. What does the Spirit have for you apart from the Father and the Son? Nothing. What does the Son have for you apart from the Father and the Spirit? Nothing. What good is the Father to you without the Spirit and the Son? We've got nothing. If Jesus didn't complete his work, the Spirit has got nothing to give us. 
He's got no redemption to apply to us. He's got no forgiveness to communicate to us. He's got no fellowship. Uh, you see that verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. The love of God, the love of um, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Now, in my recent, my most latest study, I think that that fellowship, that, that it says the fellowship of, remember I've mentioned sometimes on Sunday that of's a funny little word? Yes? Of is a funny little word. So what, what does the fellowship of the Spirit mean? Right? I think that I'm, I'm leaning towards now the fellowship produced by the Spirit. Why do I say that? Because in 1 John, uh, John says, and our fellowship is with the Father. He wants, you know, we want you guys to be involved in this gospel truth so that you can have fellowship with us. And our fellowship, he then says, is with the Father and with his Son. Right? And so I think then, um, ah, that's, I think, what happens. That the, the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the purchase, merits, all the blessings that we have in the Son. This is Ephesians chapter 1, right? For in, um, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, um, blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Him with every spiritual blessing, right? So all the blessings come in Christ, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, that's the, 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 the planning, ordaining, uh, electing love of God, and the fellowship produced by the Spirit. That is the fellowship that we have now entered uh, in the Spirit with the Father and the Son. You see that? So the fellowship that the Spirit creates, it's the fellowship of the Spirit, because there is no other fellowship. There's no fellowship with the Father or with the Son, but by the Spirit. He's the one that applies and creates that, that fellowship with us. So that's one of the things that um, uh, cashes out the back of that. You can see that now, right? And you can kind of mull over that yourselves. Inseparable operations. The Spirit has nothing for us apart from the Father and the Son. And they're always working in conjunction. That will cash out next week when we think about the Spirit's work in our lives. As we think about it, we have to always keep that peace in place, right? We're dealing with the Spirit who's working with the Son and with the Father. Which means that's a kind of that helps us to locate how we spot the Spirit's work. Right? Because that's how he's going to be working. He's not just going to be like over there moving the furniture around for for um, something to do. Okay? He's part of he's working in line with God's mission, uh, in line with who the Son is and what the Son has done. Inseparable operations. Second thing is um, individual appropriation. And that is the converse. That's just simply the converse. So we can kind of fly over that fairly quick. But um, the point here being, uh, this is kind of Trinity stuff, right? As soon as you um, focus on the one, so you someone says, what about the three, right? Um, and so I think we can still make individual appropriations and try to locate, okay, within this one work of God, <laughs> Where does Scripture focus on on uh, the particular role, as it were, within the Godhead? So they don't function separately, but they function distinctly. It could just be words, but that's how we talk. Okay, so and that follows from his internal distinctions. I don't know if you've got that in your handout. Because he's three, they are real distinctions, and we can't just conflate it all to the one. So we can't just say that the Father does this, and the Son does this, and the Spirit does this, and just flatten everything out. And the reason why that's worth it now, just to, to get that out, is that this is the other side um, of, the, of the coin, and we can now then, it validates our ability to talk about the Spirit and His unique part, place, role, within the one God in our salvation. And the way that... Um, just for the sake of time, uh, theologians have, have kind of lined the scriptures and thrashed it out theologically. The conclusion is that the order within the Trinity is that things are from the Father, through the Son, by or in the Spirit. Some places where we can see that in our texts. The texts, Father, for, um, uh, here we go, this is uh, from the Father. Have you got this in your, in your, in your notes? 1 Corinthians 8, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things 
and through whom we exist. You see that? You see, you get the, you get the from and the, the through. Uh, you get the Father being the one who set ultimate, ultimately sends Spirit proceeding from Him. This is uh, the Father might be you might call the initiator, the sender. Some call the original principle. Um, then you have the Son through. This is Ephesians two eighteen, which we've already read. Right, we both have access to Him on Spirit uh, through Him, through Him, and that's fitting as His role as the mediator. Right, the mediator. It's fitting that Jesus would come, that the Son would come. And to become incarnate and be our mediator because he's the one through whom uh, all of the blessings come. And the spirit in or by, and I've got 1 Corinthians 6, 11 there. Um, and this is just an interesting one, isn't it? We'll get to this later. As such were some of you, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. Uh, here we go, you see? You would, this is what happened to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the through, and by the spirit of our God. But just note that there justified by the Spirit of God. And then there's a couple of extras. And uh, Titus 3, 4 to 6 is probably quite a good one. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Saviour, appeared, right? So the goodness and loving kindness of God, He saved us, God the Father, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. There again is the by. Uh, whom he poured out, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ our Saviour. That's probably fairly clear now. Um, and so then I've got a couple of quotes, but I want to just move a little bit further through. Uh, in conclusion, we're dealing with one divine being. Um, we're dealing with a being who never works alone, but we can still think and speak of his unique and particular role. And so this is a quote. Gregory Nazianzen is just going to come on. I'm not going to read the whole thing, uh, but just that bit highlighted there. Uh, but this is where this is where we can. Uh, uh, this is a good way to keep this in mind as we think about the spirit, right? Uh, no sooner do I conceive of the one than I am illumined by the splendour of the three. No sooner do I distinguish them then I'm carried back uh, to the one. And that's, I think, going to help us in our doctrine of the Holy Spirit as we think about that, right? We have one God working. As we see his work, we always want to go, ah, that only happens by the Son, uh, sorry, through the Son, uh, from the Father. That will help us. That will give Trinitarian shape to our worship, that we, we worship in this Trinitarian way and honour God as such. Right, okay. Now, because of time, I am only going to have time for one more um, section. Would you prefer the Spirit and Jesus or the Spirit in the Old Testament? Let's have a uh, show of hands for uh, the Spirit and... And I'll, I'll linger around afterwards if anybody wants to go, you know, you missed the one that I wanted to do, and we can chat. So, this is all pre-Pentecost, so that's the divide. In two weeks, right? Pre-Pentecost, post-Pentecost. We're, we're trying to locate now what's the work of the Spirit, um, so that we can get an idea now of what he's like. He's divine, never operates in distinction. Now, let's get into that distinction. Sorry, ne never operates in isolation, but distinct. What is that distinction? Here we go. So, let's have a show of hands for the Spirit and Jesus. Looks like it's the Spirit in the Old Testament. <laughs> Alright, we'll come back to that. Okay, so, uh, let's do talk to your neighbour again. And let's do, what do you think the Spirit was doing? What do you think, brainstorm now, what has the Spirit been up to? Because now we want to get into his work, right? And that's where we're going to move. We're going to move get to the New Testament next week. We're going to start thinking, let's try and get some sort of a shape. What's he all about? What's his deal in the whole Godhead thing? Go.
Okay, let's gather it up. Let's gather it up. Sorry, just because of time, I didn't realize how long this would um, take. <laughs> let's um, let's let's get a couple. What? What has the Spirit been doing? How can, how can the Old Testament help us understand? So creating, hovering over the creation. Example, because at the beginning he's hovering over the waters. Yeah. Yep. Any others? <coughs> Let's build on that, actually. I'll just build on that and give another text to it. Um, it's the one about, uh, where does he say it? Uh, Psalm 33, verse 6. There's actually not much. It's actually quite... <laughs> It's not very simple to work out that he's creating because uh, he's hovering over the waters. It's kind of all you get. You know, oh, okay, what was he doing? Did he, did he, what was his role? Was he just there, right? Um, anyway, Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, word, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host, spirit. Right? Inseparable operations. You beauty. Um, <clears throat> Uh, yep. Others? We can talk more about that later, actually. That's an interesting thing, the creating. If you want to think about that more, but it's, it's, it's a bit more complicated to explain. Passing? Not um, in what way? Spirit coming spirit I think it's the angel of the Lord. I heard this coming from this side as well. It's the angel of the Lord. The spirit, the word spirit's not mentioned. That's for another. That's for another. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's talk for another day. Yeah. The spirit of the Lord comes on individuals. Yep, good. No, God's people. Sorry, what was that next one? So, so on individuals, not on God's people generally. Yes. We see. So, so prophets and kings mm-hmm. and Saul mm-hmm. is said to lose God's yep. spirit and spirit departs from Saul's ones. Yeah. Matt. It makes profound that when we read in Joel 2, mm-hmm. uh, all the spirit of all people, mm-hmm. men, women, young and old, it's something that's looked forward to in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. coming in verse mm-hmm. that isn't there. Yeah, it's, it's something that's special, the special individual. Mm-hmm. Did everybody get that? There's a whole bunch in there that's been mentioned. So coming upon individuals, that's one of the big strands, I think, that, that if you kind of broke out his big parts of his work, um, it would be coming upon individuals, <coughs> coming upon kings in particular, and actually only twice, Saul and David, only two mentions, and departing from Saul. And 
Uh, and then another, another category being promised to all of God's people. We have that same uh, desire for the promise uh, that, that the Spirit would come up upon all God's people uh, in Numbers, where Moses has that moment, you know, he says, oh, 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 that the Spirit, um, oh, that all God's people would prophesy, right? That the Spirit would come on all God's people. Um, and then that's uh, what, what God himself promises in Joel chapter 2. Uh, that, that appears in Isaiah 44.3. I haven't given you the texts there. I've given you Joel 2. And Ezekiel, likewise, um, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a new, uh, give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. So what we experience in the new covenant at the day of Pentecost is this great anticipated promise, right? That's one of the great promises that has been loaded up in the Old uh, Testament. Um, uh, we anticipate the time when, when will God's Spirit come upon all God's people because, um, yeah, as you've said, it's not everybody. It's actually only a few people, uh, distinct people. Um, <clears throat> any others? He does, he does, but he, it's not mentioned as the Spirit, actually, and that's one of those things where I, I didn't um, choose to take uh, track down the, um, the images of the Spirit in the Old Testament, but cloud uh, appears to be, but in order to show that, it just takes a lot more time. But I think that that's right. I think that the, the cloud of glory is the Spirit, and you get some stuff kind of um, in the New Testament, right? So Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, the cloud comes down, uh, the, the spirit overshadows um, Mary and the baby is born, right? Um, and that overshadowing is the, um, the cloud doing the same thing in the wilderness. So I think that is the, on the track, but it's, it's not explicit. I think it's there. Um, okay, so just very quickly to think about the Holy Spirit now in the Old Testament. Um, something that would help us in... Um, in sorry, go. Uh, yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying, yeah. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Because I think that uh, the difference is, and this is like, uh, he comes upon people and they kind of get animated for things. Because, because I think, partly... Because where has his spirit been dwelling? Anyone? In the old, in the old covenant? Probably in the temple. So I think that's probably why. Because the spirit is in the midst of the people, but it's in the temple and we have to guard that in um, uh, element of incompleteness. So that when we come to the new covenant, we are the temple now, and now he's in his people. We are the temple individually and corporately, and so the presence has moved in that way. That's that's would be my guess. I, I, I haven't I didn't look at the specifically the dwelling language. The language was coming upon clothing, etc. Um, so one thing that will help us just in terms of understanding the word spirit um, is. Uh, so the word is, um, Hebrew word is ruach, that's the word that you get translated as spirit. But spit, ruach actually gets translated more times, I think, than the spirit of Yahweh as human spirit. It's human ruach, right? And here's some examples to help you kind of, I don't know, understand the spirit of Yahweh a bit more. In Genesis 41.8, Pharaoh, is concerning Pharaoh, so in the morning, Pharaoh's ruach was troubled. Right? Or Genesis 45, 27. The Ruach of their father Jacob revived. Right? His spirit revived. Uh, or Exodus 6, 9. The people uh, didn't believe Moses. They, they just couldn't believe that Yahweh was going to save them because of their broken Ruach. Right? And it kind of goes on and on like that. You can have distressed Ruach, etc., etc. 
And then you have the Ruach of Yahweh, right? Uh, and the Ruach can leave. It seems to me that what that means is that it's like the life principle of a person, you see, or the is it the heart? Is it the life force? Is it the life principle? Is it the energy? Is it the something like that, right? And that helps us to understand. So then when you see, imagine you're a Hebrew and you're reading and you read Ruach all the time about the people and then you hear one day uh, and then the Ruach of Yahweh clothed Gideon and you're like, oh, came upon Gideon. You're like, whoa, you know, what's happened there? The, the Ruach of Yahweh has now come upon Gideon and Gideon like busts out and starts doing stuff. Um, and so... <clears throat> Uh, as my point number three here, in terms of coming upon, that can be broken into two areas. This is the spirit's activity. He comes upon for mighty act. Uh, he comes upon for prophecy. Those kind of two, seem to me to be the two main things that he goes and animates people to do. Uh, and mainly prophecy. I think that's the biggest one. And then there's a couple of little outliers like leading or the building skills in um, Exodus 31 or leading in, in Numbers. Uh, but I think all of that is you, you, can, you get a window into the power Right, uh, the power of Yahweh and the animating force of Yahweh are on the people. Um, uh, he anoints for office. The two places where that comes together is with Saul and David. And I think that what you have, the, the reason why uh, that matters and that will matter for how we understand Jesus in the future is that both of those two guys are anointed with oil. That's, this, is, this is one of the places where oil and the spirit come together. Um, I think that the spirit departs from Saul because uh, uh, it, was, uh, it, it departs from him in terms of his office. Because in the very next verse, if you look down there, you'll see that one of them is 1 Samuel 16, verse 14, 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. The spirit comes upon David and departs from Saul. And that might explain what we read in Psalm 51, where David says, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Right? might not be about salvation, but it might be uh, kingship. might be uh, that the Holy Spirit has, has appointing him for, for ministry. That aspect matters, right, about the Spirit coming upon a king to anoint him. Uh, and you can see now that the, um, if you kind of let, let that aspect of the Spirit's work rise to the top, right, anointing for the office of king, other theologians have argued prophet and priest as well, but let's just go with king for now as the really easy, clear one. Mighty act in the judge in the period of the judges, that's the only time it comes up, right? Judges are like the leaders. Prophecy uh, is the other point where the Spirit comes upon for people. And then uh, you have the Spirit, uh, uh, Yahweh, uh, promising that the Spirit will come. So that, what we've got there in the Old Testament so far is we've got there the places where the Spirit has come upon the people. And then the rest is future-oriented. And that, again, splits into two. It's going to come upon the servant of Yahweh. Spirit's going to come upon the servant of Yahweh. So here we've got our kind of principle, right? Animating power um, to kind of build, preserve, lead God's people and appoint, uh, appointing dimension, Right? Uh, animated for building, speaking, etc. And appointing. And then you have him promised for the future. The future is he's going to be promised he's going to come upon the servant and upon all the people. They're the two, that's it. Right? Come upon the servant of the Lord and upon the people of the Lord. And now we will come in and land the plane. And you'll see how nice it is. <coughs> um, so... <coughs> Now, right, this is where it comes for, uh, uh, for us. These two branches, Isaiah 61, right, you know this one. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. You see that? See what came together there? Spirit, anointing, and the servant, because we're in the book of Isaiah. So here is the Spirit going to come upon the servant. And that is where, if we had the time, we would go off into the branch of the Spirit and Jesus. And so you see Jesus full of, you know, the power of the Spirit, Luke chapter 4, the Spirit of the Lord's upon me, is anointed me, etc., right? There's the one fulfillment of the Spirit. And then the second one in Joel, uh, he promises that the Spirit will come upon all God's people. And that happens in separable operations 
through the Son, as the Son is ascended, he's like the guy who's full of the Spirit. He pours out, you see, his Spirit upon all God's people. It kind of flows down through, through the Christ, uh, through, through Jesus, through the King, onto all of the people. Um. <clears throat> Can I ask a question? So do you think that the chief, the, the, like, the ultimate end of this, the Son being anointed by the Spirit is so that then all who are in the Son can be likewise then anointed or indwelt by, although those two are two different things? Do you think that's the chief end of that? Yeah, I think it's something like that. The pieces are there. I don't know quite how to put it into a simple summary, but I think it's got something to do with that. It's got something to do with all of the blessings coming through the Son, the Son himself being the one upon whom the Spirit dwelt and remained, us being in him, him being in us, us being in him. Uh, I can't quite put my finger on it. This is really keeping me to keep learning, uh, researching or whatever, and uh, trying to work out exactly how. But yeah, something like that. To be clear, the Spirit is upon, not in, because the two are... The... Uh, upon Jesus. Yeah. Doesn't say, I can't think of anywhere where it says that he's in. No. Uh, yeah, it's upon. He's full of the power of the Spirit. But then, what do you mean by full of the power? That's for next week. <laughs> um, when we'll talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Be filled, etc., etc. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's all next week. Let's wrap it up for now. Uh, we've gone on a bit too long. I apologise. Um, and just with a summary, and then we'll sing a song. Uh, I think that the summary is that the cumulative force of all these parts of Revelation that we've seen and the themes that are brought together um, uh, give the teaching that he is the executor uh, authority. I think, that's, I think we're, that's where we start to see in the Old Covenant. He is the executor um, of the, by executor, I mean the, the perfecter, um, the, the, the power that more that we're discovering as it goes on. He's more than just power um, of God. And then we'll see him. So that's almost like we've, so today, to summarize, we've kind of done his divinity, his person. We've got a little bit of a taste for what, he's, what his activities are and his work in the Old Covenant. And that will help us as we go into the New Covenant um, next week and think about his work in our lives um, today.